Lion of Judah, don't let them fool you. The Messiah coming back to raise hell. That ain't what your pastor teach, hey. Well, when you read prophecy as a man, he won't meet the other nations in the streets, eh? All he does, he was slaughter gallons of blood on his garments, smashing grace with his feet, man. The scriptures, they give us a clearness, a picture, believe this, not fix it. All nations, they fear it, cause we are God's children that he will deliver. I will, I will, I will only righteousness coming. Who gonna declare war against him? The kings of all kings, either. This win is guaranteed, feel me? Prepare slaughter for the nation's children. Don't mind me, I'm just nation building. Still Christ, Christ like this nation building. Man feels like that old one feeling. Christ does not have feelings with anyone feelings. He came, died, and risen for all Jacob's children. He is on a mission. None have disposition like who God is sending. Bow down to his image. Lion of Judah. Christ of Yahshua. No matter what you call him, we know he is the ruler. Don't let the devil seduce you. Cause by him the most I will prove you. You buying that grace, hallelujah. Don't get surprised when Christ will exclude you. He have no dealings with weak brothers. Christ about this action, this action's mother. We made in the same fashion, one of nothing. What I mean by that, let me tell you something. Christ of Christ, a black man, who you thought he was? That pale red bastard that bells above. Five centuries old, can I ask you why? You black people serving a false Christ? You still eating at that buffet of lies? Whosoever in that line all dies. Christ, they keep the Lord as good in God's eyes. Here go the Christian, but Paul right. Well, the word still bringing fire. So prepare judgment. We declare what is Israel's substance. The whole world, who, who, who we don't kill, gonna be made to serve. Ooh, that's hateful, I know. But Christ is the turning of the table. I gloat. How persecution come with this walk I chose. But how are others trying to get clothed with white robes from the Lion of Judah? Christ of Yahshua. No matter what you call him, we know he is the ruler. Look, did you ever open up the Bible? Christ ain't coming back to save a bunch of white folks. God told the son of man, those whom I chose, for you to be their insurance, not Geico. Law, Revelation 2 and 9, your people, we pull law. We know you coming and don't look like me. Yo, false teachers say you coming back for all of the glow. Cause your prophetic word of promise to come shine for it. We keep telling these people we call heretics, heathen, you ain't not equal. And no, you can't join, you ain't born to this sheepfold. Enjoy the rest of your movie, cause we the sequel. Ha, that's right, take a deep go. Now pick that shovel up, don't catch a heat stroke. Any feelings for the nation's zero, cause they try to whitewash our hero. For us on the third day, he rose. To us was the message, one fold. Christ is the shepherd, God chose. Our savior, the scepter, grab hold. Glory is his appearance While blood dripping from his fringes Keep the laws of faith, my brothers and sisters Cause God gonna redeem his chosen children By the Lion of Judah Christ of Yahshua No matter what you call him We know he is the ruler Lion of Judah Christ of Yahshua No matter what you call him we know he is the ruler. He is the ruler. He is the ruler. He is the ruler.
revitalize in this devilish system. Society don't care about us, they trying to strip us of everything that belong to us. Even our history with no influence to count us out and not have to include us. But they can keep that any day. My people been led astray. No father at home to stay. No family around to pray. No leader to lead the way. In shambles and disarray. Out of order in every way. We looking up to the dope boys to be something like the Pope to us. Filled with no logical faith. It ain't got no morals. Preachers is pimping. No prophets. They ain't no hope to us. Sisters is loose and ungodly. They just some hoes to us. Believe the thing we used to be. We forgot. Now we running from cops. We used to be on the top. All the History in the world, but somehow they just forgot. We the cream with a crop, the best story you got. All my life been told that I'm nobody. Never knew the scriptures was about me. Just goes to show you how they twist his story. All my life been told that I'm nobody. Never knew the scriptures was about me. Didn't tell me I was that They tried to tell me I was nothing Scripture said that was in fact They taught me about Sierra Boje They didn't tell me Christ was black No, really what's up with that though White man wasn't nothing Till he snuck in through the back door Oh no, we can't be perfect We just rehearsing the acts though Judges 511 Will we make it to the kingdom? Only time will tell. We hidden prison houses while we in and out of county jails. They either try to put us in the coffin or we lie in cell. Esau trying to knock me off this planet. You can try and fail. Only one way to the kingdom. Shit, we might as well keep them all. Pastors all telling lies. All people are spiritually broken, all dead inside. Christ died for everybody. Now nah, that's a lie. He need to go and read Romans 9, 4, and 5. Cause that's the truth, though. Our people all turn into lawyers trying to find loopholes. But you know, the scriptures is standing tall like my new bowl. And who knows the day that he's coming back. Was lost, now we running back. We gods and we running camps. We teachers. If you won't take a stand, then go take a seat in the bleachers. Israel a fan. We can't let old Edom defeat us. They trying hard to delete us. The most high here to beseech us. So disregard what they say, cause we leaders. Dirty war. 
water, alligator baiting. Hundred million dead people, blood on the pavement. You say Jesus, but I'm looking at these crackers like they saying, like they saying, nigga playing, nigga playing. They paying for their crimes, calling statue limitations. They saying that it ain't them, that it was their fathers. Isaiah 14 say prepare them for their slaughter. This for Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, Eric Gardner. Babylon falling, fire burning, arson. Christ coming back, real black like the charcoal. Burning up these heathen for the evils that they conjured. It's for us, our eyes have yet filled. For our vain help. And our watching, we have watched for a nation they couldn't save us. They slay us and get off free like they made us. But it's with the game up. The black Messiah Look, save us. I ain't finished. These are soon will be diminished. Mount Zion full of savings, call them God's shit. 144, Esau about to be a victim. Keep the laws, then we get them on the day of vengeance. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Esau running for their life like it's LA Fitness. Revelation 18.6, double portion with them. Try to hide the caves, let's get them. He that leader with the sword, gonna die by the sword. They gonna be surprised, black Christ coming here for war. They ain't heard this before. No more nice Negroes. Time for real heroes. Esau be zero. Just like Nat Turner. Turn me up, we gone. Turn me up, we gone. And I'm out. It's a light. Now he's mad about the way we're teaching the bus. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. For us, our eyes have yet filled. For our vain help. And our watching, we have watched for a nation they couldn't save us. They slay us and get off free like they made us. But it's with the game up. The black Messiah can save us. Never trust my enemies. I know what you did to me. Locked in though the KJV, Revelations 1 and 3. Reading through these mysteries, our praises. Now we got the keys. Unlocking hope and giving hope to those that seek the Holy Ghost. My holy folks gon' hold me down. Exhorting on a daily basis. Bow for temptation. Crappy counsel just around the way. Snooze, you lose, you lose, you snooze awake. You know you slugger. I see brothers killing brothers. Ministers, women raising monsters. That's why we cry loud on you busters. Scripping, ripping through the trenches in the seas of the ghetto. My people at a lower state. Your prophets here to motivate Isaiah 61 and 1 Grinding up these broken hearts Reform today, mate listening to the forefront radio where we discuss history the bible the history of the israelites science and other matters bring it out the history of the blacks hispanics and native americans as it relates to the bible who were you prior to slavery who were you prior to colonization these answers and more can be seen and heard as you listen to the forefront radio We have shooting after shooting after shooting in this country, and we talk about the Second Amendment, and I would like to have an uncomfortable moment with the Second Amendment. Maybe people in this room are familiar with this history. My jaws dropped when I read it. By the time the U.S. Constitution was ratified, hundreds of slave uprisings had occurred across the South, and in many areas, blacks outnumbered whites. 
The only way you keep a group of people who are more than the group of people you're in, the only way you keep them under control is by violence. It's with guns. State militias were used to both prevent and put down slave uprisings. And Sally Hayden, who wrote this book, says slavery can only exist in the context of a police state. And the enforcement of that police state was the explicit job of the state militias. This is what the state militias wore. And an uncomfortable truth is that modern-day police departments had, as part of their formation the history of state militias. I'm not saying that modern-day police departments are slave catchers. There are other people who will say that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this is part of our history, and ignoring it and pretending that it doesn't exist doesn't make sense because one of the things I'm going to ask you to think about is how information gets passed down from generation to generation to generation so that people understand how they can live in the world. One of the things I want you to think about is from the early 1800s, that badge to black and brown people meant power, It meant violence, and it meant death. So go to the history about what the people said about the Second Amendment. And what you find, at least for me, was fascinating and somewhat frightening. This is George Mason from the Virginia Ratifying Convention. The militia may here be destroyed by that method which has been practiced in other parts of the world before. That is, by rendering them useless, by disarming them. Because under various pretenses, Congress may neglect to provide for arming and disciplining the militia. And the state governments cannot do it, for Congress has the exclusive right to arm them under this proposed Constitution. What he is saying is, if we don't change the way this, this part of the Constitution is being written, we in the South are not going to be able to maintain our state-based slave patrols. Militias and slave patrols were the same things in this part of our history. Patrick Henry, 1788, if the country is invaded, a state may go to war, but cannot suppress a slave insurrection under this new constitution. If there should happen an insurrection of slaves, the country cannot be said to be invaded. They cannot, therefore, suppress it without the interposition of Congress because Congress and only Congress under this new constitution can call forth the militia. He is saying it as clearly as he can. Yeah, if the country gets attacked, we can have arms to defend ourselves. But if the slaves uprise, the country hasn't been attacked. And if if Congress doesn't give us the guns to arm our militia or let us arm our militia, the slaves are coming for us. Patrick Henry told Madison, in this situation, I see a great deal of property of the people of Virginia in jeopardy and their peace and tranquility gone. And James Madison, the very father of the Constitution, says, I was struck with surprise when I heard Patrick Henry express himself alarmed with respect to the emancipation of slaves. There is no power to warrant it in that paper, the Constitution. If there be, I know it not. Because part of what Patrick Henry said is that We've seen what can happen. What if the United States gets attacked? And what if we need all the, the soldiers we can get? And what if we make the slaves soldiers? Then they're going to expect to get their freedom at the end of the war. And what's that going to do to us? 
the first draft of what is now the Second Amendment read like this. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, a well-armed and well-regulated militia being the best security of a free country. Second Amendment uses that same, basically that same language except for the security of a free state. That was so the South could keep the slave patrols. That is part of the uncomfortable history behind the Second Amendment. I'm not making it up. You can go read this yourself. So when people start talking about Second Amendment rights, I think it helps for us to understand the truth about our history and where that comes from. I want you to think about affirmative action differently. Because when I say affirmative action, for most people in this room, including myself, until I started reading this stuff, I immediately thought, oh, we're talking about the 60s and the 70s, affirmative action for blacks, and that got rolled back when Ronald Reagan came in, and that's what affirmative action means. Affirmative action has been going on since the country was founded. It was just being given to white people. And at that point, it wasn't called affirmative action. It was called the government helping its citizens make the country stronger. Over 10 years, 100,000 adults and children are marched off of their native lands, and 15,000 of them die on the way. This was especially bad for the Choctaw. And by the way, this Indian Removal Act of 1830, you know who gave us this, Andrew Jackson. Why did all these people get moved? Because of that. And talking to Pete before, he made the point, and he's right, it wasn't just cotton, it was cotton and tobacco. Two of the crops that made America rich. You won't be able to read this. It's just an ad from the 1830s about Negroes for sale. And what I'd like you just to understand is the language that's used. Because the following Negroes, Eddie, Melvy, Henry, Mary, Betsy, Jane, Lucy, Silas, and Melvin, a boy, are going to be sold from 9 to 3. Terms of the sale, 10% on the purchase, in cash, or money in cash and the balance on credit. And so it just talks about this like a normal transaction because the people alive at this time saw nothing wrong with buying and selling other human beings. This is not the slavery that Bill O'Reilly talks about. This is not the slavery of, well, it was a bad thing, but it wasn't that bad. 1.5 million pounds of cotton a year by 1790. Can I see a show of hands? Anybody in this room who has ever held a ball of cotton in their hand without the twig, without the sticks on it? Then talk to the people who have done that, because for the people who have done it, you know how much a ball of cotton weighs. How many of those do you think you have to get before you get to 1.75 million pounds of the stuff? By 1840, cotton was virtually 60% of all U.S. exports. The United States was getting rich on free labor. Maryland made it a crime to possess anti-slavery publications 20 years in prison just for having the publication. Oregon did it differently. They said slavery is illegal here. We're not going to have slavery. But if you're black and we find you in Oregon, we will either whip you or kill you. So that was their way of eliminating the problem. 
And of the first 12 presidents, only two, John Adams and John Quincy Adams, didn't own other human beings. My point is that nobody had a problem with white supremacy in America. It was what the country was founded on, and nobody was ashamed of it. Margaret Garner had a unique defense to the charge of murder. In 1856, she escaped with her four children on the Underground Railroad, and she made it to Ohio, just across the river from Kentucky. And in Ohio, her slave owners pursued her, and they had federal marshals swear out a warrant, and they stormed the house. And Margaret was charged with murder for what she did to her children, which was she cut the throats of two of her children. One of them died. One lived. She also stabbed herself. And then she was tried for murder in the state of Ohio. And the case was dismissed because she was property, and property can't commit a homicide. So she and her children were sent back to the slave owner, and they were on a boat on what was a a tributary of the Mississippi River, and the boat sank. And the question was, because one of her children drowned when the boat went down, and the question was, did she drown the child herself, or was it an accident? And she lived until for several more years, and all she would say is, I didn't want my children growing up as property. I think I did the best. When you think about slavery and you think about what that was in terms of the lives of human beings, I would just like you to think about this and, have a, have a, and, and maybe have part of an understanding about why it is so difficult to acknowledge this stuff because to admit that this is who we were is really humiliating. Texas officials are trying to tell teachers that they should teach that slavery was a side issue in the Civil War. They forgot the story of King Cotton. Are there folks in here who grew up in the South? Okay, I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in Memphis, and that was like my childhood. King Cotton Bacon. There was King Cotton Bacon, King Cotton Sausage, King Cotton Rolls. It was just like a big food brand in the, in the South. And as I was doing this research, I came across this visual, and I thought, oh, my God. And I started laughing because I had all these memories of King Cotton in my childhood. And then I found out what it meant. The slogan King Cotton was used by people in the South who were advocating that the North or that, excuse me, that the South separate from the North and form their own country. And it was never more eloquently stated than by this senator, James Hammond, from South Carolina. Without firing a gun, without drawing a sword, should they make war on us, we could bring the whole world to our feet. What would happen if no cotton was furnished for three years? England would topple headlong and carry the whole civilized world with her, save the South. You dare not make war on cotton. No power on earth dares to make war upon it. Cotton is king. And they were right financially. So if the Civil War was about money and slavery, what kind of money are we talking about? By 1859, that cotton production, 2.25 billion pounds a year. In 1860, there were 4 million slaves 13% of the entire United States population. And the value of slaves in 1860 was more than the value of every bank, railroad, and factory combined. 
a market value of $3 billion, not in 2017 money, in 1860 money. That's the kind of money we are talking about. And for prosecutors and defense lawyers in this room, does the term follow the money mean anything to us? When you're looking for intent, when you're looking for why did people do something, follow the money. The role of slaves in the economy wasn't just working for free. You had to get a loan to purchase slaves, and so that meant you were going to pay interest on it. And there were insurance policies against the untimely death of slaves. And slave sales were taxed and notarized. New York's part of that revenue, New York meaning the North, because the money was going North. It was 40% of all the money that was made on the sale of cotton and tobacco. And in 1860, there were more millionaires per capita in the Mississippi Valley than anywhere else in America. I'm talking Mississippi, Louisiana, and Tennessee, three of the poorest states in the country today. But it wasn't that way when slavery was in effect. Why did the Civil War happen? Well, let's not listen to anybody from 2017. Let's not listen to the Texas educators. How about, I don't know, the Confederate vice president who says, our new government is founded upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. Do you think he stopped believing this four years later because they lost a war? How many people in this room knew that New York City, the mayor of New York City advocated that New York City leave the Union during the Civil War? There's no hands going up, and my hand wouldn't go up either. Because I didn't know this stuff. A college kid doing research at the ACLU barges into my office saying, did you know this? And I'm like, get out of here. That's ridiculous. And then she plopped down the letter written by the mayor of New York City, who basically said, do you know how much money we are making on the slave trade? We should leave the union. I'm not saying join the South. We'll just leave the union. We'll make friends with the North. We'll make friends with the South. We'll make friends with everybody. But the money will keep coming in. So how about if we ask the states that left the Union why they left? Forget what anybody wants to teach about it today. What if we go back then and say, why is it that you are leaving the Union and starting this civil war? South Carolina said, the election of a man to the high office of president of the United States whose opinions and purposes are hostile to slavery. Mississippi said, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. A blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. They are saying it as clearly as they can possibly say it. Louisiana said, the people of the slaveholding states are bound together by the same necessity and determination to preserve African slavery. Alabama declared that the election of Lincoln cannot be regarded otherwise than a solemn declaration on the part of the great majority of the northern people of hostility to the South, her property, and her institutions. How much clearer can they say it? And if you need real clarity, Texas said, all white men are and of right ought to be entitled to equal civil and political rights, that the servitude of the African race as existing in the states is mutually beneficial to both bond and free, 
and is abundantly authorized and justified by the experience of mankind and the revealed will of the Almighty Creator. Do you think they stopped believing this? And they are saying it as clearly as they can. I understand why Texas officials would be reluctant to teach their children that their Texas ancestors actually believed this. But that's the truth. Finally, Florida said, at the South, and with our people, of course, slavery is the element of all value, and the destruction of that destroys all that is property. They're telling you as clearly as they can, we have focused our entire economy on owning slaves, and if you take them away from us, we will be devastated, so we are leaving the Union. I was taught that this guy was my savior. I was taught that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves because he found that slavery was just morally objectionable. And when you go back to the historical record, what you end up hearing is Lincoln saying, I want to keep the union together. If I can do that and keep slaves, that's fine. If I can do that and get rid of slaves, that's fine too. I want to keep the union together. And when you think about every argument you have ever heard about reparations for slavery, every single argument you've heard, I'd ask you this. Have reparations been paid? Does anybody know? Because Abraham Lincoln paid over a million dollars to Washington, D.C. slave owners after the Emancipation Proclamation for lost property. Reparations for slavery have already been paid. They've just been paid to the white slave owners. In the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln does another act of affirmative action, giving 50 million acres of formerly indigenous land to white settlers and another 100 million acres to the railroads. When you think about railroad companies in America and how much money those corporations earned, and I'm not just talking about the money to the corporations, because corporations are made up of people. The people who were employed, who had jobs, both big jobs and little jobs, but they had careers so that they could build a home and have a family and then give their kids a little bit better than what they had so their kids have a head start, so they can give their kids a little bit better. That's where this money was going. How much do you think it propped up an industry to be given 100 million acres of land for free. That's affirmative action. To give settlers 50 million acres of land for free after you get rid of the nuisance people that are living on it. And in 2017, we still have a debate over what the Confederate flag means. It means states' rights. And my response is, absolutely. It was the right to own people as property that they were fighting for. It means Southern tradition. And I say, absolutely. The entire tradition of the South, both in its economic life and in its social life, was built on the concept of owning us as slaves. Every single Southern party that you can imagine that was part of this great genteel Southern culture was put on with us in the kitchen as Muhammad Ali would say, making the milk and honey. And if you have any other question, I don't know, how about going to the guy that made the flag? 
William T. Thompson. And for those of you who know a little bit of this history, you will know that what you see on this screen was not the original Confederate flag. The original flag was completely white, and this uh, double cross with the stars and uh, bars was up in the corner. And it went through three or four different iterations by the end of the Civil War. But what William Thompson, the man that made and designed these flags, what he said is, as a people, we are fighting to maintain the heaven-ordained supremacy of the white man over the inferior or colored race. And we're still having a debate over what this flag means. William or excuse me, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, who some say was the original originator of the KKK, who was clearly a Confederate general, had this to say about the Civil War. If we ain't fighting to keep slavery, then what the hell are we fighting for? And by the way, this bust of Mr. Forrest will greet you if you walk into the Tennessee State House, where the state legislators and state senators do the business of the people of the state of Tennessee. So if any of you saw this show and remember D'Angelo Barksdale from The Wire, I think there was a quote that is just so apropos at this moment. You can say you somebody new. You can give yourself a whole new story. But what came first is who you really are. And what happened before is what really happened. This is our shared history, not something else. This Black Codes in 1870, and now I'm talking about what happens when people are trying to move forward. For blacks, you had to come up with $100 to start a business. For whites, there was no money. Think about $100 in 1870 money, and what we were talking about is deliberate, purposeful, not implicit, I didn't realize I was doing it, deliberate and purposeful attempts to prevent blacks in America from gaining economic independence deliberate and purposeful. And we still had the cotton and tobacco plantations. And the white owners didn't want to be paying the, the normal kind of wage for people to work on them. So cities in the South just started arresting the black folks for vagrancy and other kinds of crimes. And once they were arrested, the black people were sent back to the very same plantations where they were slaves, and they did the exact same work that they did when they were slaves, and they didn't get paid for it this time either. It was just that the city would get paid a fee, the municipality that had jailed them. Many people think that the practice of slavery in the South, having black people work on cotton and tobacco plantations for no money whatsoever, ended in 1865. And many historians will say it ended in 1941, when World War II started. And for any of you who know what goes on with quote-unquote prison labor today, it's an interesting question. So January 12, 1865, in Savannah, Georgia, there was actually a meeting. William Edwin Stanton, or Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of War, and William Sherman, the general, met with 20 free black men to discuss the needs of enslaved people. What they were essentially saying is, we think we're going to win this war, and what do you folks need? This is the first example of people in power actually going to the people that are impacted by the problem most and asking them, what do you need for help? 
And there are actually records of this meeting, and people wrote down what was said. And one of the questions asked of the black ministers was, what state in what manner you think you can take care of yourselves and how you can best assist the government in maintaining freedom? Listen to this answer. The way we can best take care of ourselves is to have land and to turn it and till it by our own labor, that is, by the labor of the women and children and old men. And we can soon maintain ourselves and have something to spare. And to assist the government, the young men should enlist in the service of the government and serve in such a manner as they may be wanted. Now, the rebels have told us that uh, the, the North piled up these slaves and made them batteries uh, in Cuba, but we don't believe that. And he finally says, we want to be placed on land until we are able to buy it and make it our own. That doesn't sound like a request for a handout. That's what people wanted, the opportunity to build a life in America. And that's what General Sherman said, okay. He made that promise of 40 acres and a mule, and then Andrew Johnson said, no, we're not going forward with it. The most conservative economist in America will tell you that had that promise been granted, it would have resulted in the infusion into the black community by today of about $3 trillion. What would have happened had that happened? At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington, in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. They don't pull out this Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> and they don't talk about this part of what he talked about. This is about six months before he was killed. We're coming to get our check. People don't realize that Reconstruction after the war was actually working. In 1868, before the 15th Amendment was passed, there were over 700,000 registered black voters. There were 2,000 black men who served in elected office. Sheriffs, mayors, city council people. How many, there are lawyers in this room. How many people are familiar with the Civil Rights Act of 1875? Can I see a show of hands? I had never heard of it. There are a couple in the back, and y'all are a lot smarter than me. I had never heard of it. The Civil Rights Act of 1875 outlawed racial discrimination in housing, in public schools, in public accommodations, and the Supreme Court overruled it three years later. 
And then Rutherford Hayes was elected, and part of the deal he made for his election, the end of 1877, was I'm going to withdraw the federal troops from the South. And when he did that, the Confederates reorganized into groups like the KKK, and the Southern states started passing those laws that I was telling you about to put black and brown people back in their place. And this period in American history is one of the most frightening for me. It starts with Plessy versus Ferguson. And so we all know this case, and the concept I would just like to ask you to think about, we put so much value in how we think about the law and legal precedent. And this was the United States Supreme Court telling everybody in America, yeah, those black people may not be slaves anymore, but don't you even think for a minute that they are the equals of white people. Because I don't, I don't know what they said in the opinion. I don't know if they used those words in the opinion. But there is no other concept about separate but equal, no other way to explain it. You are not good enough to drink at the same water fountain or urinate in the same toilet or sit and use the same forks even if they're washed. That's white supremacy. And the Supreme Court said that's not just the custom in the South. That is the law of the land. So in 1896, there were 130,000 registered voters in Louisiana. And by 1898, just over 5,000. Why do you think over 125,000 people decided not to vote? And as we start the 20th century, the lynchings were in full bloom. If you can't read it, it's 105 in 1901, 85 in 1902, 84 in 1903, 57 in 1905, 62 in 1906, 89 in 1908, and 67 in 1910. You realize that in each of those years, that is more than one lynching a week for the entire year. The message was being sent to black and brown people very clearly. Don't think that because slavery is over, you've got an equal share in America, because you don't. And then came the monuments. So President Trump, in his tweets, has said, Sad to see the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart by the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. You can't change history, but you can learn from it. Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, who's next? Washington, Jefferson, so foolish. Also, the beauty that is being taken out of our cities and towns will be greatly missed and never able to be comparably replaced. The beauty that is being taken out of our towns. Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center did this report. It's available online, and I would commend it to each and every one of you. Uh, it's called Whose Heritage, and it is about tracking both the history of these Confederate monuments and when they were built and where they were built. So where are these monuments? Well, that's the western half of the country, and that's the eastern half of the country. The top 10 states, Virginia, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, Florida. 
At the time of this publication, they had counted 1,503 monuments, including 109 public schools, some counties and cities, nine official Confederate holidays in six states and 10 U.S. military bases. And you may be saying, well, so what? It's just a monument or it's just a name. President Trump has said, where does it all end? What about Washington and Jefferson? George Washington definitely owned slaves. There is no point, no, no question about that. But the Washington Monument was built for him That had nothing to do with the fact that he owned slaves. I think it had to do with the fact that he, I don't know, founded the country. (laughs) The fact that he owned slaves was irrelevant to the building of the Washington Monument. The Confederate monuments were built to glorify one thing, participation in the Civil War. That is the only thing that they glorify. And when you hear the President of the United States talk about how fabulously uh, appreciative he is of our troops and our soldiers, understand that the Civil War was about killing American soldiers so that people could own other human beings as property. That's what the Civil War was about. And so anybody that can't see the difference between the Washington Monument and the Confederate Monuments is not looking. That's their geographic distribution shown in another way. Just to demonstrate, this was not about the country's decision that, oh, this was such a a difficult time and we want to honor everybody that was involved. That's not what was going on here. These monuments were built in the South because the South may have lost the war, but man, they won the peace. And they won it hands down. And if you need any any more like proof of that? How about this? We're having this freaking discussion here in Seattle, Washington in 2017 about what race means in America because the South won the peace and they won it big time. This movie was a turning point in the United States, the birth of a nation. And you can't read it, but it says stupendous motion picture production of Thomas Dixon's famous story, The Klansman, employing the services of 18,000 people and accompanied by a symphony orchestra of 40. For 1915, this was a huge, huge production. It took three years for them to release this movie because it took that long to produce it. This was the first movie ever screened in the White House. And there were no black actors in this movie. They just had white people in blackface. And the story was about black men attacking and raping white women and the Ku Klux Klan coming to the rescue. And President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, was so moved by this movie that he made a statement about it that D.W. Griffith, the producer, then used to promote the movie. Woodrow Wilson said, the white men were roused by a mere instinct of self-preservation until at last there had sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, a veritable empire of the South, to protect the Southern country. That is the President of the United States talking about this movie, and I'm asking you to understand or think about just how normalized white supremacy was in order for this to happen. You can't do this in a country where white supremacy is not accepted as a bedrock principle. And we're not talking 1865 anymore, folks. We're now at 1915. 
So later that year on Thanksgiving Eve, this guy, William Joseph Simmons, goes to Stone Mountain, Georgia, and he took with him some bricks to make an altar. He took an American flag. He took a holy Bible. He took an unsheathed sword, and he took a burning cross, and he reignited the KKK at Stone Mountain, Georgia, a holy site for white supremacists in America. That is Stone Mountain, Georgia. It is the largest bas relief in the world. Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Thomas Stonewall Jackson. To give you some perspective, the United Daughters of the Confederacy came up with the idea, not in 1865, to celebrate, oh, our heroes and we feel for them. This is, what, 50 years after the Civil War? They're talking about maintaining winning the peace. They came up with the idea in 1912, and, and they had the north face of the mountain, mountain deeded to them. And then they began work with the KKK, and they ran out of money. They were too busy doing other things. And it sat there for 36 years until finally the state of Georgia decides we're going to finish this. And with tax money, including tax money of descendants of slaves, they built this monument and they finished it in 1972, which means that during the entire civil rights movement, they're carving this on Stone Mountain, Georgia. I would tell you that Robert E. Lee was an honorable man. He was a man that gave up his country to fight for his state, which 150 years ago was more important than country. So right now, we're having the switch. This wasn't about slavery. This was about supporting his state of Virginia. It was always loyalty to state first back in those days, but the lack of an ability to compromise led to the Civil War. And men and women of good faith on both sides made their stand where their conscience had them make their stand. This is a general of the United States military, a person that is respected. So people will hear him say this and go, he's a freaking general. He knows military history. Maybe he has something here. And then, once again, our history is being stolen from us. It wasn't about slavery. It was just about loyalty to Virginia. I did a talk on Confederate monuments several months ago, and the night before I did it, I got called by a guy from Virginia who was a friend of the Robert E. Lee family. And he said, I just want you to know that members of the family may be watching what you say, and I would really like you to think about that because, you know, these people, they love their ancestor. They've been taught that Robert E. Lee didn't fight for slavery. He fought for loyalty to Virginia, and I'd just like you to be kind about it. And I was really tormented because I'm not looking to hurt this family. They didn't do what their ancestor did. They're not to be held accountable for their ancestor. And I tried to say, I have the deep deepest respect for the family who has done wonderful things and they themselves have called for some of these monuments to come down. But the truth is what the truth is and I have never seen a better explanation of it than that given and I'll show you in a minute. Because this, I don't think we have any debate over what the Nazi flag means, right? We're all in agreement on that. And when you now know what the Confederate flag means and you see those two together, do you understand the message that that is sending? 
And our president initially doesn't want to rebuke them. And just like the general, both sides are to blame. Very fine people among these people who either carried the Confederate and Nazi flag or were completely comfortable walking side by side with people who were carrying it. Very fine people. And these guys, when Trump went to Alabama and spoke to a virtually all-white audience, he says, he called them a son of a bitch, and he said, and listen to these code words, people like yourselves turn turn on the television and you see those people taking a knee. This is barely in code. And in 2017, this kind of rhetoric is what is bubbling in America. And none of us are immune to it. This is what W.E.B. Du Bois had to say. People don't go to war for abstract theories of government. They fight for property and privilege, and that was what Virginia fought for in the Civil War, and Lee followed Virginia. He followed Virginia not because he particularly loved slavery, although he certainly didn't hate it, but because he did not have the moral courage to stand against his family and his clan. Remember, these people decided we are going to attack and kill American soldiers so we can preserve the right to own other human beings' property. It is the punishment of the South that its Robert Lees and Jefferson Davises will always be tall, handsome, and well-born, that their courage will be physical and not moral, that their leadership will be weak compliance with public opinion and never costly and unswerving revolt for justice and right. It is ridiculous to seek to excuse Robert Lee. Either he knew what slavery meant when he helped maim and murder thousands in its defense, or he did not. If he did not, he was a fool. If he did, Robert Lee was a traitor and a rebel, not just to his country, but to humanity and humanity's God. We talk about holding people accountable in the criminal justice system. Are we willing to hold America accountable and hold ourselves accountable for the work that it's going to take to reverse this stuff? 